more fun than a wrestling fan who drives a pump it and dump it sewage truck and sucks up the sweet air of World Championship Wrestling Glory Night to wrestling fans, Gordy and Sean. Whether you like wrestling or hate wrestling, when it comes to the big screen, when it comes to the movie theater experience, a lot of wrestlers have made that transition. I mean, we gotta talk about John Cena, Dwayne Johnson, even Stone Cold Steve Austin and Triple H did, did a little something there, but what if you brought the big screen to a specific company in the year 2000 with World Championship Wrestling, which self-produced a movie called Ready to Rumble, starring David Arquette, which uh, has developed a lot of infamous reputation in the world of professional wrestling. And whether you like wrestling or not, I think this is going to be a fascinating conversation on another episode of A Cast of the Past with a brand new available episode every single Sunday with yours truly from Puerto Rico. My name is Juan Velas, and, and this is my, my birthday gift because my birthday is on September 13th. So celebrating just beforehand, I told these two fine gentlemen this is it. This is my birthday gift for better or worse. So introducing first from Boston, Massachusetts, Mr. Ryan McNulty. Ryan, had you watched this movie before we uh, did it for this episode? Uh, indeed, I have. In fact, this was the first movie I ever saw on DVD. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, hey, it, it has you the can only go down honor. from there. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm scared to introduce this next person. Uh, luckily, this is recorded so we can censor if need be. From London, Ontario, we have Keith Hamilton. Now, Keith, uh, what, what's your take on, on Ready to Rumble? And you can just go away with that. Well, uh, are you excited for some good old-fashioned wrestling fun? Because that's what this is. It's wrestling with a capital R-A-W. Yeah, so for those that don't know... W-R-A-W. Oh, <laughs> no. Raw wrestling. Keith, Keith, this is going to be a challenging experience for Keith, because, look, let's be real. This is not a, exactly a cinematic masterpiece. This is quite the painful <laughs> movie to watch for most it's people out there. a masterpiece in some ways. In some ways, exactly. It could possibly be, but this movie came out... In April 2000, and just for like a little quick context uh, for the non-wrestling fans out there, in the 90s, we had something called the Monday Night War. So it was World Wrestling Federation, better known now as the WWE, and you had WCW, World Championship Wrestling. Especially between the years of 96 and 98, they were like neck and neck when it comes to the ratings war. And then towards the end of WCW, they actually went out of business in the year 2001, which makes this movie just very questionable because it came out it came out in uh, March, uh, April 2000, and WCW ended in March 2001. And uh, just to give you an idea of how much money they were just throwing out there, this movie had a budget of 24 million dollars, which is not even like a big budget. I mean, it is your roster, right? Like a lot of the wrestlers are part of that. It made half of that. It only made <laughs> $12.5 million. Oh, so I love that so much. I mean, hey, a lot of people lost a lot of money and that sucks, but goddamn, so does this movie. <laughs> Ryan, uh, when, when you see that, the fact that it already had a small enough budget and it made even less, does it, <laughs> does it surprise you a little bit or, or oh is that kind of part of the course? Um... It surprises me a little bit just because this is, you know, April 2000. And I remember seeing the trailer 
Um, it, it definitely seemed like it had a good advertisement behind it because I do remember seeing that trailer all the time back when it came out. But 2000s was, we were still, maybe it was just just past like really the height of like professional wrestling. I would have expected this to do a lot better, but I think at this point, WCW seemed to be a little bit on the downswing by this point, if I'm not mistaken. More than um, a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not, so even, not even low, like they were just th- that, going down. That might have been mm-hmm. it. Like if it had come out maybe two years earlier, I think it would have done much, much better because it was trying to really capitalize when wrestling was a big deal. And WWE was rocking and rolling at this point. Um, it's just WCW was, was uh, having a little bit more trouble. Yeah, jokes aside, it's not that surprising that this was a bit of a flop because if you take away the wrestling aspect of it, the movies that were coming out like this in the early 2000s were a dime a dozen. Like the toilet humors in some points literal in this movie were just made mainstream by your American pies, your Literally scary movies. Humor, okay, so yeah, we got to yeah, emphasize There is that. literal toilet humor in this movie, but all of the gags that this movie surrounds itself with, both in and out of wrestling, like though there were a hundred of those movies coming out around this time. So for this just to be another one of those that was on the lower end of good, then it's not shocking at all that it didn't make that much money. The funny part about this is that I think when you talk about wrestling, uh, movies about wrestling, most people go to The Wrestler. And for right reasons, it's an incredible movie. And the funny part is the actual story, like let's let's forget how these are done. The actual stories are kind of similar in some senses because you have... In both films, a professional wrestler that gets their spotlight taken away from them, and it's kind of just like, hey, it's a fight to survive, trying to go back to a normal style. Maybe they didn't exactly love their family or were the best parents. So if you watch The Wrestler, congratulations. You actually watched the proper wrestling movie because this is (laughs) the second one here. And it's worth pointing out that for me, I watched this movie when it first came out, because I mentioned in our other wrestling-related episodes, I grew up watching WCW, not WWF. So when I saw this, I'm like, sign me up. You get to go to the movies. You get to watch this. And I love me some cheese. Did you, you guys wear love your that? Monday Nitro shirt to the movie theater? I don't think I actually had one. I actually had WWF shirts, which made no sense. I, I think I had a Stone Cold shirt. <laughs> they must have though, just been easier to find. You know? yeah. yeah, probably. That, that's actually a really good point. So the opening statement here is when you look at The Wrestler, The Wrestler as a film was a, a dramatic film that I think was supposed to either create a connection with other wrestlers that went through negative times, but it was also supposed to like shed a light to the people that say wrestling's fake, right? And it's like, hey, you know, it is choreographed, predetermined. What would you guys say was the real point, and if any, for Ready to Rumble? Keith, you want to (laughs) go? I mean, if we're trying to find the point of it, I mean, I think it's really like, it's... I'm a lifelong wrestling fan. I've been watching wrestling since I was like five years old. The first match I ever watched was Farouk versus Mark Merrill for the Intercontinental title. I really started out with a banger. But it's hard to look at this movie and try and find the point of it from not 
and like aside from just kind of feeling embarrassed about it as a wrestling fan as lack of a better way to put it because everything that you kind of get negatively stereotyped with as a wrestling fan like when i made that joke at the beginning of the show like this is a movie about wrestling it's the man child who gets really into it and sits in front of their tv screaming at it every monday night and doesn't believe it's fake and just get buys into all the storylines like they took every single cliche about a wrestling fan and then just turned it up and as somebody that just like was fighting that for their entire lives it's just like it's like well this is no this isn't what i want this is just this is embarrassing really i i definitely disagree now is this movie some sort of cinematic masterpiece no but i actually think before the movie the wrestler came out and before we got i mean i haven't seen fighting with my family but it's gotten very good reviews as well before either of those movies came out i really think this was actually the best movie that heavily involved professional wrestling that was out there and let me be clear the bar was pretty low i don't think nacho libre was a good representation of professional wrestling um I, i didn't really like that movie that much at all I liked that, if nothing else, this movie does give a slight peek into kind of the workings of wrestling. And I like that, although the two main characters um, really want to believe in wrestling, the movie itself acknowledged that it's a show, acknowledged that it's a work. And I thought that was kind of a cool context behind, like the screw job happening where normally you see people they're putting on the show, but all of a sudden, you know, the, the owner of the company says, no, kick his ass. Like you're actually going to win tonight. That evil bastard. Yeah. Sinclair. Sinclair. Who's not Eric Bischoff, but super Eric Bischoff. We're going to go into that. Like, I think that far more interesting than the actual movie is everything around around this movie so let's give uh, let me give a little bit of context as far as the plot which is very maybe the easiest plot we've ever had to explain on this podcast which is you have jimmy king who was at the top of the food chain a completely made-up character so like with the exception of the entire roster this is the only non- real wrestler played by uh, Oliver Platt, so an actual actor. But the rest of the cast is like a full-blown wrestler. So you have Sting, Macho Man, Randy Savage makes an appearance. You have Goldberg, Booker T, Kidman. Disco Inferno was in a freaking movie theater. I mean, Unmasked Rey Mysterio was in this movie. Unmasked Rey Mysterio, yeah. So you have all of that. Jimmy King, apparently not the best or most loved uh, uh, wrestler behind the scenes. So that's what... it's uh, funny because that was the most realistic part of this movie where... If you look throughout history, the top babyface has always kind of been a piece of crap behind the scenes. So Jimmy King just felt it fit in perfectly there. Yeah, Jimmy King very much kind of filling like almost like the Hulk Hogan role of someone who is like the big moneymaker for a company. But like, you know, a lot of opinions from wrestlers is like they're not, you know, they're they're a showman, but they're not actually a very talented wrestler when it comes to in-ring work. 
Exactly. So that leads to Tom St. Clair to kind of do like a Montreal screw job. For those who don't know, uh, in Survivor Series in the WWF, Brett, hit, Brett the Hitman Hart, I think a lot of people obviously know him, even if you're not a wrestling fan. He wasn't sure if he was going to stay or leave the World Wrestling Federation. So in a match that's technically choreographed, predetermined, they actually uh, took the championship away from him between the, the referee, the other wrestler was in it. So in this movie, we kind of see some of that where Diamond Dallas Page, which a lot of people may know from DDPY and all of that awesome stuff, he's sort of the bad guy, but he's really the, the gatekeeper of this movie, right? He kind of like, he's like the, the, the glue between the non-wrestler and the wrestler roles. He's uh, a heel. Yeah, he is amazing. But uh, he becomes the champion. They like literally throw him through a table. Even the, the people that supported Jimmy King turn on him. And then he's gone. He's kicked out. And then that's when we see that he's actually not a great human being. He's flat out broke. But then there's these two wrestling fans, which are uh, Scott Kahn and David Arquette. And uh, David's uh, character, Gordy, he believes wrestling's not fake, as he famously says in the movie. And it becomes the ultimate journey of these, these two lifelong wrestling fans to really just get this guy back. But that's not the actual story, people. The actual story about this movie is David Arquette. Can one of you describe, uh, I mean, both of you maybe didn't watch a lot of this, but uh, I would love to get Ryan's perspective as somebody that didn't watch WCW, but you definitely heard about David Arquette actually becoming the world heavyweight champion. And to this day, it's still a relevant topic because like David Arquette's wrestling in 2020, right? He's fully active Wrestling in the Independence. If you want to talk scene. about good wrestling movies, go look up yeah. the trailer for You Can't Kill David. I'm going to watch that this it week. It looks phenomenal. Yeah, it's a great documentary, apparently. But, Ryan, what's your take uh, as an outsider watching this and knowing everything that unfolded after the movie with David Arquette? Well, it, you know, I didn't know when I saw the movie at the time that they, you know, took basically did the cross promotion of actually having David Arquette show up and actually win the championship in actual WCW. Um, but, you know, all the stories, it's just very infamous and like an, a terrible decision. And you just hear about how it just ruined WCW. Um, but WCW is already doing dumb stuff. I mean, you know, Jay Leno was putting Hulk Hogan in a wrist lock and Hogan's like acting like it's actually hurting him. So things like that were, were already happening. Um, and it was just another... Uh, you know, just another ridiculous thing that WCW did. But now I feel like David Arquette is almost going above and beyond to like make up for it by basically murdering himself on the road in the independence, like, you know, with like light tubes and like all this other stuff. He's all these other weapons that he's just like killing himself over. Um, I don't think he has to go that far. He already, you know, I think he's already gained a lot of respect from wrestling fans. And, you know, it wasn't his decision to win that title. Um, so I, I don't Apparently think Apparently that fans... idea, uh, for those curious, did not even come from David Arquette. David Arquette has historically said he was completely against it. It wasn't even an Eric Bischoff idea. The person that suggested it was one of the announcers, Tony Schiavone. So, which is very interesting because you would think that. So let, let's consider this. People. Let's consider Shivani. this. You're spending over $24 million in a movie 
and you're making a huge decision in the actual show. You're changing the landscape of the actual show. Here's the thing that people forget. Like, Ryan, say you're a marketing expert or Keith. If if you were to make David Arquette the champion, you would maybe make him champion before or during the movie's release, right? Like right around that time, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's like a pre-promo yeah. thing. Exactly. So this happened about a month after. So in hindsight, <laughs> so they had flopped by that point. And yeah. So like, the movie had already been out. I believe it was three weeks in the movie theaters. And I mean, look at the numbers. It was already just not doing great. They were and probably trying to do it to, to do bo- this. Maybe, you know, they, they did it as a way to try and boost interest in the movie because it was doing bad. And they killed the whole company, Ryan. They killed yeah. the whole yeah. company. Well, yeah. I mean, the they talked decision. about that decision. <laughs> I was yeah. trying to rationalize why they might might have did it, not that it was a good idea. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and for those that don't know, because once again, like we'll, we'll be going back to the movie, but just so you understand how ridiculous everything around the movie is, when David Arquette won the championship, you would think that it would be one on one, and one person beats the other. He won the championship in a tag team match in wcw thunder i believe it was yeah I, I was watching live and i was just like hey this this don't make sense man i'm i'm a kid like i don't book wrestling but what would you like because that's how insane fan. wcw was at the time it's like well we can't have david arquette pin one of our wrestlers because that doesn't make any sense but he can pin somebody in a tag match where there's real wrestlers because that makes sense yeah let's book it they were trying to get the best of both worlds with a publicity stunt while still trying to make no one on their roster look bad by directly losing to, to David Arquette. So you do it in a tag match. You can understand the rationale, but obviously we all know with the, you know, the lovely um, ability of hindsight to see that this was all a terrible decision. I don't even think you need hindsight for that, Ryan. (laughs) Unless you consider hindsight like three seconds after it happened. (laughs) Like they just did cuts like, ooh, this is a bad idea, but let's keep going. So (laughs) we we have all of that, right? So let's sort of go back. There's There's two type of stories in the film, which one is we mentioned it's Jimmy King and it's his quest to come back to the movie, to to come back to WCW. And then there's these two wrestling fans, which I don't understand. I mean, Keith talked about like toilet humor. The the two characters flat out work in a sewage company, right? So it's like they went all out there. It is nothing but feces jokes from the very beginning to the point like David Arquette's character shoves his finger up his ass to get some free mm-hmm. icy. So it's like, I don't know at what point there wasn't a producer going like, hey, I get it. Toilet humor. Can you scale it back? Because I don't think And even as a wrestling fan, like what I love about this film is not the actual movie. It's the whole concept. Like I got to see Goldberg on the big screen. I got to see Booker T get a a shining light there. I got to see Rey Mysterio pull off a Hurricane Rana. And it's these characters that I've grown up with. But the actual film, it almost felt like it was mocking wrestling, even though, even though like you could point where they were trying to kind of emphasize that it is real. I thought that they did so little that I don't think anything positive came out of it. What do you guys think about that? 
I agree 100%. It felt like depending on what scene you were watching in the movie, they were they were trying to get the best of both worlds where they wanted to do this like peek behind the curtain at wrestling and show you what it's actually like. But then three seconds later, there's a guy in a porta potty getting a air vacuum shoved into it and toilet paper blown around everywhere or okay, now we're talking about like the serious repercussions of what can happen in a ring and then a truck full of toilet paper hits a truck full of poop just because that that needed to be in the movie so you're it's for everything that they did that because i think there is some good stuff in that movie and i'm not trying to sit here and say that this should be like a serious look at wrestling movie but the humor that they went with kind of every time they took a step forward that humor being there took it about two steps back because even in the same movie where they're trying to show how choreographed wrestling is they bring in like the Stu Hart character it's like oh I'll twist you 10 ways from Sunday and show you real wrestling well if you're doing this look into it then why is that there as well you're making it real with these real life stakes but you're also showing it's choreographed it tried to do a little bit of everything and ended up not landing anything at the same time well I I would argue that I think it actually did a a good job of painting that line. Um, Yes, there's a lot of toilet humor. It's a 2000s comedy and it's like it's a teen comedy is what it is, right? It, it's gonna have stupid jokes like that, just like American Pie and anything else. It, it's of its era very, very much so. Like, in every sense of the word, it is of its era. Um, but I, I think it did a good job of establishing that in the early part of the movie, with that first Nitro that they're at, you can tell that it is a choreographed show. But because when they... That turning point of you know, things like they're, you know, in the, to use wrestling terminology, when they start shooting on each other and you, and actually physically harming each other, that's when it turned real. And it was like established, I think pretty well that Jimmy King is going to have to actually fight for real in this match if he wants to win his way back to the WCW. So I think the, the show portion of like, they established that, okay, it normally is a show, but that's part of the why he was so intimidated is because he knew he had to fight for real in this situation to actually be able to kind of win back. And I think that's the part of the film that I did think was very cool, which is it's it does poke a lot of fun at wrestling. But if there's one part of God writing, let's not forget. I mean, all both of you brought up like, you know, 2000s toilet humor in 2000s wrestling. This whole concept of wrestlers sort of going in for themselves was very common, which is especially in WCW. Yeah, exactly. Say I was a wrestler that I was going to be losing a match. Maybe I didn't want to lose the match. So I would make the other opponent look bad, even though my job is to make the other person look good. Right. So the whole concept in the in this thing is that even though they present it as choreographed, that even the Jimmy King character says it, the way they portray the DDP versus Jimmy King story, it's like they legitimately hate themselves, hate each other, <laughs> and they're doing a full blown match, right? And and I thought yeah. that was very interesting. What did you guys think about the actual story of Jimmy King? So they strip him away, 
he goes to a trailer park very similar to to the wrestler i think this part you know one is drama <laughs> one is comedy but there's a lot of similarities that i have there's no a lot doubt. of overlap there yeah. is shockingly so so what did Let's, you guys think about that story of jimmy king the non-wrestler part of the story um well i liked it i just do i do want to touch back on the on the match part um one more time just because if you think of it right if you have a movie about professional wrestling how can you add drama to a match without either a making it real uh, making it a, a shoot fight if you will or a or pretending the entire time that wrestling is real because otherwise if you're getting that peak backstage it would just be oh hey jimmy king you're going over ddp so and then you just watch the match play out so to add drama there you know the wrestler did it in different ways where it's more about you know the health of like the condition that you know, um, Randy the Ram was in more so than like what actually happens in a match. Um, where in this movie, if you want to have drama behind a match, you can only do so many things when it's established that it's predetermined. So I think it was a cool decision to first acknowledge that, you know, wrestling's a show, but then make this like, oh, th- but this, this one match, this is a fight for real. So I think... Like, if you think about it, like, there's only so many ways you can do it if you want to have that drama. Um, But in in terms of Jimmy King himself, like, it it definitely, you know, rings true. Like, if you're a wrestling fan, you know that, like, it's not, for a lot of these wrestlers, it's not this glamorous lifestyle that's going on behind it. Not everything, like, a a Ric Flair would portray. Um, And... You know, just to show that, like, while someone who on, you know, when the show's on, they seem like this amazing person, but then you kind of see, like, oh, never meet your heroes type of situation where, you know, he's just kind of this scumbag and he only cares about money. And there's a lot of wrestlers like that, you know, when they. When they just say, oh, they want to talk to him for five minutes. And he's like, how much money you got? Like, that's a very, like, wrestler thing. And then he just thing, yells you know? appearance fee. And that, yeah, exactly. that, that it's all like, good. That's, you like, everyone's met those wrestlers that, like, oh, they're your hero. But it's like, they're like, oh, hey, kid, 10 bucks, like, if you want to say hi to me. So, I think we've all kind of been there when it comes to wrestlers. Um, so... There's a lot of that that rings true if you're like, there's a lot to appreciate if you're a wrestling fan in this movie. If you don't care about wrestling, this movie is probably not worth your time. But like for wrestling fans, there's a lot of little things to love. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think that one of the positive things in that whole concept of we get to see Jimmy King, who he really is, then you have the Gordy and Sean characters try to sort of infiltrate, which I love that uh, in the film, and this is not even like a 2000s thing. This is like a 95 thing. I, I went back to like the hacker. Uh, they bump into this kid as they're traveling named oh Isaac, God. Uh, who goes to this website. Literally, it just like flat out says, like, what was it? Oh, Hacker's I, I Planet or something? Yeah, Hacker yeah. Planet. That's Hacker's it. Planet, I think it was. Let me actually put it on like a for, crappy like, early IMAC 2000s thing. Yeah. children's toy computer. Yeah, so he goes into Hacker's Planet. And he's got like the braces. I mean, damn, people. You can that guy actually a- was in American Pie, by the way. Yeah, that, yeah. So they, they they fully brought him in over here. So they, hey, whatever you did over there, just do that here. 
And then he is the one that's sort of uh, uh, exploring and figuring out where Jimmy King is. They're kind of like in denial, right? Because it's like, hey, he hasn't paid child support. Uh, his family hates him. Uh, Jimmy King came out with an autobiography. And I guarantee you, like, a lot of this is based on real events in wrestling. Like, an autobiography that's totally not real. But, I mean, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's what he the wrote. The more I think about the Jimmy King character, it makes me think of a certain brother, brother. Oh, yeah. No, it is definitely... I mean, keep in mind, this is WCW producing this film. There's probably a lot of, like, a lot of uh, bad blood with Hulk Hogan. And for context, context, I was going to bring this up at the end, but just because you... What you're bringing up is not too far from the truth. So, Tati and Claire in this movie is maybe the character that makes the least amount of sense because it's clearly supposed to be Eric Bischoff. For those who don't know... If in WWF, you had Vince McMahon in the WCW, you had Eric Bischoff. Apparently, Eric Bischoff was the person that began this entire project, the entire experience, but he was fired just months before this movie began being filmed. So he's gone on record saying that the movie he was actually trying to make was very different than the movie that be- that that ended up being released. Let's not forget... Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan were very tight. We're very close. So I don't think it's a coincidence that we're seeing a character like Jimmy King. And, you know, Hulk Hogan is almost like the king of wrestling, right? And in many respects, like one of the most iconic characters. And then you're seeing a lot of similarities in how people don't like him. It's 2000, the year 2000, right? Bad blood all over the place. And Tati and Claire are there. Having that context uh, as wrestling fans, because for everybody else, it's like not not even worth a damn. Do you think it brings like another unique element to this movie? I mean, it just as a wrestling fan, it amplifies the WCW-ness of it all. Because we'll sabotage our own movie. Exactly. Like around this time, that's what was happening on WCW programming. You had when Bischoff and Hogan got quote unquote fired, you had Vince Russo going on television talking about how awful they were. They were sabotaging their own product with just like one night deciding we're resetting all the champions. None of it matters anymore. (laughs) And doing a bunch of decisions like that. So it makes it the perfect WCW movie by doing that. For, for those that think Keith is lying, they actually did that. They actually reset the champions and they openly went out there and agreed that what they were doing was bad on live television. I, I was mm-hmm. there as a child. I thought wrestling was still kind of real at that point. Guess what? Vince Russo was my Santa Claus revelation. I'm like, wait, <laughs> wait, what you're talking, wait. Are you implying, oh my goodness, it's it's a mm. choreograph there. There's a, there's a lot of, now I don't know this one way or another for sure, but there's a lot of this movie that feels like Vince Russo had his hands in it. I don't, I don't know for sure. There's not there a lot of no information about that. Match, so. yeah, that's the only thing this was missing. Just uh, yeah. <laughs> Now, I will say the one part of the movie that I'm like, man, you had something there. There's a couple of like nuggets of, of just like potential. Uh, and one of the, the the parts of the film where they are in the trailer inside the uh, the uh, Jimmy King's trailer talking with him, like he just flat out tells Gordy and Sean, hey, wrestling's fake. But one of them says, how can you be phony if I believe in you? So they actually did a good job of justifying like this dude's an asshole. He abandoned his family, 
but they didn't believe in maybe like I forget what the character's real name was supposed to be. I don't know if they they said it a lot, but like they believed in Jimmy King, right? They believed in the character that they saw, and they wanted to see that person and the real mm -hmm. asshole, the real life asshole, sort of become intertwined. And that's kind of the motivation of the film, right? Let's get him back up. So they naturally, with no effort whatsoever, infiltrate WCW facilities oh, on yeah. live television. With like literally like the portable toilets, the porter potties, and during a live filming session, you have three men not contractually hired by the company assault the individuals, and that lands them a spot on a pay per view. What? Mm -hmm. Like See, that that's is what? the biggest leap in this movie. <laughs> I will say that's the part. Like I, I don't mean to like discredit what you were saying earlier, Ryan, about how they did a good job blurring the line between what's the show and what's actual somebody fighting for his life. Because that middle part is what really killed it for me. Where hey, these guys are going on live television on a live episode of Nitro, and they're not immediately getting taken down by security and yeah. arrested. Instead. That is the biggest, I think, like plot hole in the movie. And again, it's a movie of its time. It's not meant to be taken seriously. So you really have to. This is probably the biggest area you have to suspend your disbelief. Because, like imagine yeah. if two dudes tackled Vince McMahon on live television. Yeah. Like they yeah. would be killed. On the I think spot. that's what they were going for. They were going for like a. You know, once again, like I was a WCW fan growing up. So to me, that was like, oh, man, wouldn't it be awesome if I was in that? I could just like go yeah, in there it and insert myself into a storyline. But and see, I think that's part of it is like the you can put yourself in the shoes of like the two characters like Gordy and Sean. And like it's kind of like the the wrestling fans kind of fantasy basically being played out. Uh, but yeah, this is the area where it's like the most hurdles have to be jumped, right? Like, okay, so I guess you would assume because they, they're they in the poop industry that they get some connections that they can like have these porta potties. But what? why do they have porta potties at a stadium? Don't they have all these bathrooms at stadiums? I don't even understand why the porta potties are even necessary. When you and gotta go, brother. Yeah, yeah, somehow they're getting clearance to be in this building. And then, yeah, when they show up on live TV, maybe they'd keep Jimmy King on camera. But the two fans, security would immediately escort them. And they would not just let them continuously assault Sinclair. <laughs> like, it was completely ridiculous. But again, it's not a movie that should be nitpicked like that because it's, it's already, it's just, it's a stupid, fun movie. Um, but if you're going to, pick an area where it's like the biggest kind of a leap of like reality then that would be that scene in particular and the fact that they just go along with it and they make that match um yeah that's just never ever gonna happen they're gonna cut the camera to commercial and you would never see any of that so now the the big emphasis of the film is, hey, they have this pay-per-view match, right? But Jimmy King's out of shape. He's not a great wrestler. So there's two things that happen, which is number one, he tries to go get some training with Simon Dini, win and wrestle, which as Keith mentioned, <laughs> that character is it's just not even based i want to say it's like they it just like flat out ripped off the personality of one Stu hart which for those that don't know Stu hart is part of the incredibly well-known uh hart family and he's always been known as like this hey like no nonsense like if i'm going to train you i'm going to damn near break your arm but 
hey, WCW, they got they got a, a DDP. I mean, when you got Disco Inferno and that company and all that, you got to get some backup. Like, not everybody can take down Disco Inferno, right? So what they do, and even though Disco Inferno was a good guy at the end, which like totally just... He cannot be a baby right, face, but that's, we that's get another it, Juan, story. You're obsessed with yeah. Disco Inferno. Yeah, let's leave me on. alone there. Leave me, so. <laughs> let's just say the words Glenn Gilberti and move exactly. on. Exactly. Let, let's say that. So Jimmy King also tries to develop this entourage of just like, <laughs> like uh, what is like the fireman? I'm going to hose you. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think about this whole like... Uh, this is like the the Fast and the Furious Ocean's Eleven moment of we got to recruit some people for this team, which I mean, Mission they're Impossible. They're completely insignificant and get like zero screen time anyway. <laughs> yeah, so it, but they yeah. dedicate like, time to this, which yeah, it just got completely cut. I thought this part was pretty fun. I I think this is where it's like, hey, this is what I remember enjoying about the film for better or worse. Okay, let's let's be real here. It, it is a good moment in the film where there's a lot of like it's it's a time when it was funny the fun that they were poking at wrestling fans did you guys think mean gene is sexy oh that that's a moment where first of all i kind of cringed when that happened r.i.p mean gene we love you um but like that's a thing where it's like oh it's funny to wrestling fans but anyone who's not a wrestling fan and doesn't like know mean gene it's it's not like it's just a complete miss you know what i mean like it's it's funny because you're like oh look at mean gene saying that silly thing you know yeah there's a few people that just felt out of place in that movie and mean gene is number one on that list with a bullet where much like a lot of things going on in WCW at that time, you had to wonder if like people were just looking at that script and thinking to themselves like, what the hell are we doing? Why, why is this happening? And I feel like Mean Gene could have been one of those people. It could have. I think another unfortunate part is like uh, for any wrestling fan that watched wrestling in the 90s, a lot of these wrestlers have died. And watching these films it's getting kind of painful and like you know in one shot you have bam bam bigelow and mean gene in like one shot i'm like oof man this this is not aged gracefully uh you have like perry saturn that uh i believe still alive but he's in really Mm -hmm. really rough shape right i mean he was people presumed he was dead for like five years because you cannot find him so watching this movie now is like Oh man, there's this movie takes a different tone the more time goes by, right? <laughs> I mean, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what to say to that. Yes, I it didn't realize dramatic I tone didn't realize shift. I mean, <laughs> Ryan's like, man, this is way too serious for me now. Yeah, you, you did not expect real. that shift. It got real. Yeah. So <laughs> the the other part of the film is. And and I like this part because I think it's the more relatable part is Ryan still just trying to process all of this information <laughs> yeah. is so Gordy in one side, you know, the character played by David Arquette, he's trying to just motivate Jimmy King. So that's happening. But it's almost like he's trying to live his own dream of becoming a wrestler. His parents are like uh, de- deputies or sheriffs. I forget. Um, I, always get I think they were up. state. They're state police. Yeah, let's just state say that on vehicle. But Neither one yeah, of the other two. <laughs> but so yeah, his his family are cops, and obviously they want him to be a a cop. But it's like so ridiculous that they're always in, they're never not in uniform. Like yeah, they're never gimmick, see, man. Yeah, you never see his dad not in uniform. They're all at the dinner table, like 
completely in uniform just shooting um, a fridge because he's yeah. mad <laughs> yeah it's like it is the most just like bare bones basic like oh you m- we are all cops you must be a cop why aren't you being a cop <laughs> you know, like that's that's pretty much it there's a part of the movie that I have not introduced, but I'm not only going to introduce it. I, I'm just going to lay the groundwork and I'm just, uh, I need to get your reactions. There were two parts of this oh, film. I think, I, I think I'm ready for this. Yeah. There's yeah. two parts in this film that I'm like, knowing you two, I'm like, man, this is when you two really hate me. Like I even wrote yeah. it in the agenda. This is when Keith really hates me having him watch this movie. So in the movie... Todd St. Clair finds out that Jimmy King is actually getting some training by Sam and Dini, and uh, he's getting this entourage. So there's a there's a chance that not only I'm does sorry. he become a champion. I'm, every time you say that, I think you're saying Simon Dini, like the <laughs> famous. <laughs> hey, hey. Uh, Simon Dini, man, I'm gonna go with it. I love me some All Simon right. Dean. So <laughs> as that is happening, he decides to have one of the Nitro girls, which is like uh, in I, in the actual Nitro show, they would have. All of these uh, scantily clad females, right now wearing a lot of clothing, uh, just dance between commercial breaks as a way to keep the audience interested. So there's one of them called Sasha, which is played by Rose McGowan. Uh, one of the weirdest casting choices, because I don't think that she and this movie blended in any way at all. But then <laughs> nope. there's like this kind of love story, which in one part of the film leads us to a date in her apartment with... With a lot of questionable moments, but instead of just like, Keith, can can you describe what are some of the events that happen in that apartment and how lovely Gordy <laughs> gets his uh, just like charisma on? Well, um, they decide to, uh, you know, uh, what was her character's name again? The female? Sasha. Sorry. Sasha. Sasha. Sasha uses a poor choice of words and asks to, uh, to see some of his moves, some of his holds in the bedroom. And when you think they're going to get all sexy and, you know, show those moves, he instead pulls out like a front head, head lock. No, it's a snapmare. Okay. One, love this scene because he did a snapmare. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, also that. But. It's just Don't like even lie, Juan. Yep. You know it's true. Yep. But it just shows like the <laughs> it's that is the tone of this movie just crystallized in its purest form where it's just like dumb humor where it's like oh yeah i'll show you my moves here i'm gonna throw a working punch at you and actually hit you because yeah, can, you're can showing your foreign object that part so they actually go to the ba- bedroom and uh, she she takes off her top, revealing some things. I mean, not for us, but for him. Some foreign objects. What, what does Gordy actually say here? He yells the foreign words. Foreign objects. Foreign objects. And proceeds to... Punch her clean in the face. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, what? There's so much yeah. of what? that. Like, why, number one, why is that your reaction? Number two, why are those foreign objects? Number three, just Why? Why? W-H-Y with a bullet. (laughs) Why? Look, I think it's safe to say that the the female characters of the story were just slightly underwritten, you know? Just a little bit. Slightly. They were, like, I feel like, you know, growing up you hear like, oh, you know, women are portrayed as, as sex objects and things like that. But sometimes it doesn't always, like, click just you know, growing up as 
you know a guy and watching shows and stuff but when you watch this movie you're like it's super uh, yeah clean. you yep. know i, I, yeah. I kind of see it here where it's like uh she just kind of goes up to gordy and they have like a date and then they're banging immediately granted there was an ulterior motive in that case but in the case of sean with the the girl at the the taco restaurant uh subtleties there but it's just literally <laughs> here's a here's a New York hard rock cafe shirt and then she just bangs him immediately. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's wow. like wow. Yeah. Like that it's like and that was one they developed the relationship with those two girls with Sean in one scene and like that's it. You know, and then they immediately go go to banging in a van. So that, I mean, that describes that's, this movie I mean, excellently. Yeah, that's like, mm-hmm. the, that's the 2000s. It's I kind of... I think we've come a long way. <laughs> there's a theme that everything awful in this movie happens in a van, because we didn't really talk about it, because it is a very, like, quick point in the movie, but when there's a scene in the movie where they're trying to hitchhike to get to Atlanta, and oh. then they're picked up the by a group of traveling nuns, and then, you know, they're kind of... Keep, passing the time and then they turn like songs of kumbaya into running with the devil just because you know it's the nuns and there's a bunch of devils and then they're making fart jokes about the nuns like that was a point in the movie where i'm like what the hell are we doing guys why are we here it it, it was that <laughs> and the poop truck scene the poop I, truck I and the toilet that, paper i will say i love that moment as stupid as the farting nuns joke is i do love that moment where he's like i'm gonna ask you a serious question 90 a serious answer <laughs> did you fart in that van like I, I don't care how how toilet humor that joke is that i think that moment was funny that moment was funny but uh, I'm, I'm actually gonna bring up uh, one of my jokes uh, I, I have a youtube channel in which i often ask in 2020 so i gotta ask this here would this meme would this uh, movie be able to be made in 2020? I just don't see There's how that would be. There's a zero percent chance that this would be made. Well, if you took the jokes from this movie, like if you tried to release this movie in 2020, there's no way because there is some very questionable language. But if you made something like it in 2020, I guess. Yeah, uh, I don't think. It, it just wouldn't it would be a very different movie um th- this movie wouldn't it would no it's just no. a no <laughs> like i mean <laughs> we're like getting no. we're getting wrestling related movies like i said I, maybe we should watch fighting with my family i don't know have either of you guys yeah, seen it's, it it's it's a really good movie yeah. i have really enjoyed it so i'm not watching i mean there's definitely an interest for wrestling related movies um but this movie again is really in that america it's not as raunchy as like american pie but it's like in the same vein you know yeah and and i think the fact of the matter is that there's a reason that even though there's not like a whole lot of movies about wrestling wrestling even i would actually say especially for the people that hate wrestling it's kind of fascinating to take a look at the behind the scenes aspect of it like a lot of this movie even though it's corny it's it's like kind of cheesy it's very real like for all of us that have watched wrestling for pretty much all our lives and we've seen and heard stories so much of what happens in this movie is strikingly real right from uh the the fans like i mean you talk about something like mikey whipwreck right in ecw he was a wrestling fan he started setting up the rings became a wrestler and then did a whole lot of stuff it's like 
it's not unprecedented to have a, just like a, a random wrestling fan uh, kind of get involved, gets an opportunity, and then proceeds to actually become part of this whole process, right? So uh, I think that's pretty good. And then eventually in the movie, you know, we do get to some more action. This movie concludes with a triple cage match that actually ended up happening in real WCW with David Arquette and Jeff Jarrett. So, I mean, like, hey, you can't, you can't have it all. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, David Arquette was there and he turned heel. He became a bad guy, people, uh. because, of course, that's what happens around that point. But um, what do you guys think about the whole process of... Because it's a movie, they can get away with even more stuff than real quote-unquote wrestling can because it's like an hour 20, you know, it's a very short movie, all things considered. What do you, what do you think about the craziness that unfolded, which concluded in a triple cage match featuring Diamond Dallas Page, David Arquette, I mean, uh, Demi King, David Arquette, everybody, <laughs> the whole freaking roster comes out at one yeah. point. What, what was Sasha doing inside the cage? Who knows? When she got hit by a ladder. Like, when did the, like, that didn't make any sense. Like, if you had a dial of how much WCW-ness you were willing to put into something, like, this match would take that dial and turn it all the way to the top and just turn it a little more like if you this was like the fantasy of what wcw wanted to be with run-ins and motorcycles jumping off triple cages and here's these insane matches in real life we can only put things on a pole but this time we can in a movie we can hand hang things from three cages because why not it was the ultimate wcw fantasy and I think there's two parts of this movie that I want to bring up now. One of them happens during this scene, but the other one that we haven't even brought up, and it kind of upsets me considering he's no longer with us, that we didn't get to see more, which is Macho Man Randy Savage. I thought his involvement in the movie was very weird because he's only basically at the, at the, at the opening scene, which is yeah. a dream sequence even, so it's not like actually happening, quote unquote. But knowing the potential, it's like, look, of all the freaking wrestlers, you know, I mean, we got Bonesaw and Spider-Man, so there's a little bit of redemption. But damn it, like, this is the guy you wanted to highlight. So maybe he just didn't want to have, like, a, a bigger role in the film. But what I do you like think about this? That is, like, that answer lies in the credits of this movie, where, I, did you guys stick around for the credits and see, like, oh, the blooper yeah. reel? Oliver Platt where, nailed him. And he punches Macho Man in the face? I imagine that's where his involvement in the movie ended. <laughs> He's like, Bonesaw's not ready. Yeah, Bonesaw is going to kick your bum. Ryan, Macho Man, anything? <laughs> no, I, I think you guys kind of covered it on, on oh, that one. Yeah. Awesome. And then the other thing, the other wrestler that I that almost got like even less airtime is uh, Sting, which can I just point out like how badass, did, super real, Sting looked like a freaking badass in this movie. I'm like, holy crap. He was crap. super cool. They kind of just brought him in at the end like when Sinclair's talking to him in that room and it's like we kind of you know it's like we kind of saw Goldberg a little bit throughout the movie but they just kind of bring Sting in at the end but I, I they did do Sting justice I will say and I love that when he gets involved they actually play like his theme in the background yeah, yeah. and that was, pretty that, cool. that was probably the best part of the whole movie mm -hmm. at least that's care that sting character had some moment in that movie because the real life version just wasn't that this is a part of the movie that i really do think and it's so sad 
there's a completely different uh, version of it. Like if we talk about the Snyder cut of Justice League, unknowing <laughs> what happened with Eric Bischoff and everything. There's Tell me the, about the Snyder cut of Ready to Rumble. <laughs> there, there's the Bischoff cut, man. There's a the, Bischoff cut of this. Well, uh, there's a, there's a Bischoff like probably a Bischoff outline or a script, maybe. Yeah. Like a Bischoff. How is he not covered that on his podcast? I, I don't know. If, uh, I mean, I, I listen to eighty three weeks a lot. So if anybody wants to learn about uh, WCW, there's that. But I do think it is interesting that certain characters are there very little, uh, and I think that Sting. I mean, uh, I get it. You know, he shows up at the end, and it's like super cool, and we get a like a lot of fairly decent action but i just wanted to see a lot more of that but at the same time it would have tarnished this but at the same time the company died a year later so not like it really mattered right Hmm. it's true and i mean i think that's a situation where not having more is a good thing because you mentioned how goldberg is in a few scenes in the movie I think it really showed that Goldberg's acting ability wasn't exactly up to par with everyone else. But he was when, so happy with Jimmy King winning at the end. He's like, yeah. come on, come on. And he's always yeah. got to move his hands. He's got to talk with his hands like, come on. <laughs> and then they give him like, even though he was like a human killing machine at that point, they give him the most unflattering camera angle of just looking directly down at him, looking straight up. And it just like you, you even made Goldberg look bad somehow. I also like how he goes into the convenience store in his underwear. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I love the fact that the movie ends in this like super badass scenario where, hey, Jimmy King wins. He becomes the champion. Uh, apparently, it's like, hey, he writes all the wrongs. He gets his kid some braces because holy crap, those braces were, were painful. Um, he, he's got his parents in there and the movie concludes with like the king and his entourage, right? It's just like going back to the the convenience store at the beginning of the movie where the clerk uh, was talking about wrestling being fake and all that. So everybody else is like, you know, fairly well clothed. No, here's Goldberg just in his underwear. And then the movie ends. That's kind of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, isn't it established that wrestlers always wear their gear in that movie? Like when uh, Sid and Perry Saturn attacked not Stu Hart, weren't they in their full <laughs> gear at the same no, time? No, they were like in, weren't they in like jeans? They were in like black clothing. Oh, okay. I don't think they were full gear. Also, now, poor maybe Goldberg's Sid. just like Randy Orton and he can't wear pants. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe. If somebody got the short straw in this movie, it's Sid. Because this is a guy that like wrestled Hulk Hogan a few years ago and Shawn Michaels and he's just a goon. Yeah, there's uh there's like a really weird scene in this movie where they have like a stealth mission of them trying to take down uh, Samandini and uh, <laughs> and, uh, and you have like these two huge dudes getting getting their asses kicked by him uh and then it's like boom one chair shot the old man's in the hospital everybody's just like laughing about it. Uh, I will say like the cool just like satisfying end is that, you know, Gordy's dad wants him to become a police officer. So he like kind of goes away, tries to take the test, but then like actually invades the wrestling match, you know, tearing through the ring, uh, through the and cage. And his dad's just instantly cool with it. Yeah. But his dad's <laughs> like, hey, he's, he's like spirit the dude. I mean, hey, he freaking came out with pyro and shit. It's like, I love my son if I had one and he did all of that, right? That's pretty amazing. <laughs> And that so, was a hell of a driving the motorcycle off the ramp through the like through the cage door and landing in the ring, not killing anyone <laughs> like in the process. It's impressive. I mean, that takes a lot of skill. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So having said all of this, uh, what is your takeaway? If, if you were to 
we've dissected the movie fairly decently all things considered this train wreck of a movie was <laughs> mm-hmm. what is like your takeaway you know we we talk about the legacies there ain't no damn legacy in this movie so we ain't gonna be doing that bull crap here yes if my, there's anything you take away what is it my one takeaway from this movie all jokes it's aside to give like yeah exactly the jimmy king arcade game i wish it came out <laughs> my one honest take that i will look into this camera and say with like all prejudice, all jokes aside, I hope you enjoyed your birthday present, Juan. <laughs> Thank you, Keith. Thank you. I did. I did. It, it, it's like the tenth time I've watched this movie, which says a lot about me. But it, it is, is my only takeaway. Hey, I've, I've seen it a lot of two, a lot of times too, Juan. So don't feel bad. I will say this movie, like I, like I said before, if you're a wrestling fan. I truly believe that this movie is worth watching. Is it the best movie in the world? No. Is it the best movie about wrestling? No, but it was for quite a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> until until the wrestler came out, uh this in my opinion was the best fictional, movie about wrestling. Yes, because like Yes, yeah, we're not talking about documentaries or anything like that. Let's talk about beyond the mat yeah. and stuff yeah, like and that. Now, yeah. Best this was the best feature film about wrestling until the wrestler and now with fighting with my family there's more than one movie that's better than this um truth is there's just not a lot of those options out there but like i said if you're a wrestling fan especially if you're nostalgic for like the attitude era slash monday night wars era then this is kind of a nice little trip down memory lane particularly if you watch wcw or if you have an interest in wcw um, I think there is some some nice little tidbits to, to get out of this. And it's it's as bad as some of the jokes are. I think it's still a pretty watchable movie. Um, it's just it's just not the best, but it has its moments. And if you're a wrestling fan, I think there's actually a decent amount of things to appreciate. No, without question. And uh, I mentioned that one of the most intriguing things about this movie is like all the behind the scenes and, and curious uh, facts about it. So... Let's actually get to that. So uh, credit to whatculture.com for eight things you didn't know about Ready to Rumble. Are you guys ready? Because like some of these mm-hmm. you have actually not uh, known about. Right? I'm happy. Or I'm excited to learn some things about Ready to Rumble. And, and these are actually pretty cool. So uh, number eight is stunt doubles. Do you know who was the stunt double for one Jimmy King? Do you know? Do you know? It's not for points, but. I imagine it was a wrestler because yes. they had a mm-hmm. entire roster of potential so who stunt has doubles. A similar body type to Oliver. You're going to get it way wrong if you go by that. It's actually Canyon. I I, I was actually about to say Canyon because I was going by the hair, like the dark hair. Oh, huh. okay, okay. So Canyon was actually apparently the uh, choreographer for a lot of the fight stuff in the movie. Uh, Canyon was a wrestler that, much like other <laughs> oh, ones, God. unfortunately, what? Oh my God! Said, I'm done better? with this episode. All right, <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, it. Yeah, who better for that, right? He's like Canyon is actually one of the best wrestlers, like underrated wrestlers. I love watching him as Mortis and and Canyon and all that. Unfortunately, no longer with us. But I mean, hey, like he actually got some I'm positive so things about this movie. I'm so mad at you right now. <laughs> I'm so yeah, Keith just hates mad you. at you. All right, keep it rolling, one. Now uh, with David Arquette, guess that stunt double. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Was it um, Rey Mysterio? No, because he was no. in the movie. Uh, well, couldn't it? It could have been. It was not him. somebody actually showcased in the movie, to my knowledge. Uh, Scott no. Steiner. <laughs> uh, no, so Evan Courageous. 
Stand back. There's a sugar sheen coming through. Oh, oh I, I was close. Yeah. So Shane Helms was uh, the uh, the stump double for the, for him. Now let's go over here. Uh, Rey Mysterio. This for for wrestling fans, it's like unsurprising. Guess what kind of injury Rey Mysterio sustained uh, while working injury. on this? Yeah, isn't this <laughs> the mo- like? Isn't this where he developed the knee injury that basically hampered the rest of his career? Yep. Yeah. It actually happened. So that Hurricane Rana spot at the beginning of the, uh, like one of the Which first Which was pretty shots. cool. That yeah, was a cool it, shot. Awesome shot. Luckily they got it. But yeah, apparently it was a very, very serious knee injury suffered there. And for non-wrestling fans and why we just like kind of like almost laugh at this in a way is because it's become like a running joke. Rey Mysterio has had like decades of knee problems and apparently here, like this is when it really, really took off because he had some before, but it got really bad there. Uh, Keith kind of mentioned mm-hmm. one of them, which is like Macho Man was legit accidentally punched by Oliver Platt, and we got to see that in the uh, in the uh, blooper reel at the end. Now uh, another one is which I which I mentioned is the film only made half of his budget. The film opened on April seventh, two thousand, across a non inconsiderable two thousand five hundred and eighty five theaters at number six on the top ten box office charts. Uh, that's an average of just uh, around 2,000 per theater. And it's, in fact, the thir- the 43rd worst opening for a saturated film release ever. Oof. Ever. Not that year, people. That's not a good list ever. to be on. Big oof. Yeah, that that's pretty rough there. Uh, and then the other thing here is apparently DDP pitched another ending originally where at the end of the movie, they kind of sit down and uh, talk about the fact that wrestling is a work. I'm very happy that didn't happen. I don't think this yeah. film, film needed that. No, I don't think so either. Going over to number three. Now, this is the one. This is the one that you didn't even know, Ryan, which is uh, the doctor of thugonomics, the leader of the C-Nation, as Ryan oh, likes God. to say. John Cena <laughs> was actually in the film uh, in one of those scenes where Jimmy King is trying to recruit... Uh, different wrestlers for his stable, including Goldberg. Like, what's your take on that? Like, in in a That's WCW crazy. John film, Cena, like John Cena, seems to be like he like has just this random history where he just kind of popped up in these places. You had no idea he was there. Like, how like didn't he like start in the same promotion as like Samoa Joe or something? Like, I think it was UPW. Yeah, yeah. Like he's always got the, he's got this interesting history where it's like you didn't realize. Like, even though he, like, I don't even think was in wrestling that long before he joined, like, with WWE and their developmental, but somehow he just, like, ended up in all these different little areas. The prototype so, uh, the, was everywhere. So, the last two things, just because both are pretty, pretty interesting here, is uh, we've kind of uh, brought it up. Uh, number two, Eric Bischoff was originally going to play himself in the main role. It's pretty obvious watching Ready to Rumble that the character of crooked promoter T- Titus Sinclair uh is based on former wcw president uh vice president eric bischoff in actual fact bischoff was due to play that version of himself in the film before he was let go by wcw just a couple of months before filming was due to begin according to bischoff the film was a pet project of his and the original script was a lot more dramatic when he was on the outs time warner who didn't appreciate wrestling for anything other than the strong ratings decided to get involved and made it no more comedic endeavor and essentially making fun of the wrestling business, which is 
Very you know, interesting. That actually, it makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense. It actually really, like, that makes me understand the tone of this movie more, where it really is a look at what people on the outside think wrestling fans are like. Like, that's a lot of the main characters' um, motivations and, like, where they fall into that movie. So, that, I get that. That comes across quite, uh, quite greatly. Yeah. I, I thought seeing... The guy who played Sinclair, who's also like Cypher from The Matrix, and we we yeah. covered that movie. Uh, I thought he did a pretty good job, though, as like yeah. the, the scummy, uh, like GM type character. I agree. And then the last thing here, very surprising, uh, a sequel was planned but never made it, and it will never be aired on the WWE Network. As amazing as it seems, considering <laughs> how poorly it turned out, there were, in fact, rumors that a Ready to Rumble uh, sequel was going to be made. Also, too ready details, to rumble. <laughs> yeah, too ready. It's oh, just ready, ready to, to rumble. Exactly. Yeah. Although details are sketchy, it appears as though this was a from, fun production to work on. Listen to the DVD documentary, uh, commentary track, which I actually got to listen to that. I forgot there's a commentary track on the DVD with like David Arquette and all that. Uh, when the film completely tanked, costing WCW and distributors millions of dollars, any plans for a sequel were shelved. Uh, speaking of Warner Brothers, because they own the rights to the film, Ready to Rumble will never be available to stream on the WWE Network unless WWE pays them a hefty figure for the rights. Which makes a lot of sense. Like Warner has historically hated wrestling, which says a lot like... Uh, you know, better or worse, like how many crappy films have come out on Blu-ray in physical format? Like the only way mm-hmm. you can still get a physical copy of this film is like with the crappy original barely plastic uh, DVD mm-hmm. case, right? I had to rent this movie on YouTube just to watch it. And it felt <laughs> so wrong. I felt yeah. dirty doing it. Yeah, I was I was gifted the DVD by my cousin many years ago finally dusted it off and and watched the movie but yeah it's like that plasticky like case you get to undo it's uh it's it was coming out pretty early into like when dvds were becoming a thing yeah yeah so everybody uh that has been our review of ready to rumble here on a cast of the past uh thank you ryan and keith for the uh, lovely birthday uh, gift here before my birthday so next next year uh my birthday gift is actually going to be like we're going to write a hypothetical sequel for ready to rumble like we're just going to write it and then uh, keith gets to that. play jimmy king and saint Clair <laughs> and sasha uh and uh, salmandini <laughs> Or Simon Dean. Ooh, what if we get Simon Dean t- involved? Yeah, what's Nova oh, doing Dini. these days? Oh, Dean. <laughs> okay, All right, people. we're done. If so your here, birthday's canceled next yeah, year. Congratulations. Here, you can't leave that five-star review. The movie ain't five stars, but you know what it is? This podcast, people. <laughs> Just not this episode. <laughs> so you can leave that in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Facebook. You can join the Discord and question everything about this episode at ecastofthepast.com slash Discord. And and I feel like it's been a while where instead of me closing this episode and doing like the whole cast, like we'll do that in a second. But Keith, I'm going to put the camera on you for the for the video version. Give us a positive message. A positive message is when you wake up tomorrow, no matter what happens, you will have a day that is better than the movie Ready to Rumble. And that's been it for another exciting episode of a cast. To the past, baby.
Okay, you guys. Broke my so butterfinger, like, baby. I, I messed up the recording, so we actually just gotta record <laughs> no. this entire episode you again. Shut your mouth. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. Okay, let, let me no. start here. Uh, what's more fun than a wrestling fan who drives a nothing? Puppet in the we're done. Goodbye. <laughs>